Thank you for downloading Nine Days, Nine Podcasts, a production of Produce North America. This special series is a curated collection of premium Tisha B'Av content from the Pardes archives. We hope it brings additional meaning to these solemn days. Please be sure to subscribe wherever you are listening. And now, Nine Days, Nine Podcasts. Parshat Devarim is always read on the Shabbat preceding the ninth of Av, the national day of mourning that commemorates a number of tragic episodes in Jewish history, chief among them, the destruction of the first and second temples at Jerusalem. While the parsha itself does not contain any explicit mention of this day of fasting, its overarching themes of ruin and restoration, failure and repair, are entirely appropriate to the season. In the initial sections of the parsha, Moshe poignantly recalls the journey from Mount Sinai towards the land, as Israel confidently left the location of God's revelation, to embrace their promising destiny that beckoned just a short distance away across the expanse of the arid wilderness. But tragedy struck at the oasis of Kadesh Barnea at Canaan's southern gate, for there the people clamored to send forth scouts in order to spy out the land. As Moshe recalls the events, It was the people of Israel who rallied for the dispatch of the mission, as if God's earlier assurances to them of his assistance in possessing the bountiful land were somehow less than reliable. The spies returned with a frightening report of a country populated with menacing giants dwelling in cities fortified up to the heavens through the Israelites into a sudden panic, and their own unwillingness to journey forward was soon confirmed by God's harsh decree. According to tradition, in the Mishnah Ta'anit, chapter 4, Mishnah 6, that ancient night of turmoil was none other than the night of the ninth above, a day set aside from time immemorial for national failure and defeat. It thus emerges that our Parsha has more to do with the ninth above than perhaps a cursory reading may suggest. For not only does Moshe remember the disastrous lack of trust that led to Israel's downfall, but also God's patient mercies that nurtured their eventual renewal. Finally, recalls Moshe, the faithless generation passed on. And the people were bidden to God to commence their second march towards the land. The petty kingdoms of Edom, Moab, and Bnei Ammon were courteously skirted, and then the people of Israel were confronted by the mighty Amorite kings, Sihon and Og. This time, however, Israel miraculously prevailed. Buoyed by God's pledge and confident of their own power. As Parsha concludes, Moshe remembers how in the aftermath of that triumph, he exhorted his successor Yehoshua and the people to maintain their fortitude in the face of the Canaanites, whom they would soon have to engage in battle. Chapter 3, verses 21 through 22. At that time I commanded Yehoshua, saying, Your own eyes have seen all that God your Lord did to these two kings. Just so shall God do to all of the kingdoms that you will encounter there. Do not fear them, for God your Lord 
will fight on your behalf. In similar fashion, when the ancient rabbis came to consider the meaning of the ninth above, they too refused to entirely devote the day to disheartening and dismal thoughts. In the midst of their mourning over destroyed Jerusalem and exiled Israel, they detected a brighter future, a time when the state would be restored and the temple would be rebuilt. Thus, relying upon a bleak reference from the Megillah of Echa that spoke of vengeful God appointing a set time to destroy Israel's young men, Lamentations chapter 1 verse 15, the rabbis tore the precise word from its immediate context and declared the ninth above to be a holiday, a moed, thus forbidding the recitation of the tachanun, the penitential prayer, that forms part of the daily morning service except on joyous occasions. The uninitiated is justifiably dumbstruck, for here is a day devoted to mourning and a liturgy full of lament, but still is proclaimed by the rabbis to be a holiday. But the more perceptive soul is dumbstruck instead by the rabbis' genius, by their boundless capacity for optimism. For in this way they declared that for Israel there is always hope, even in the midst of painful travail. These are the words that Moshe spoke to all of Israel on the other side of the Arden, in the wilderness, in the plain, opposite Suf, between Paran and between Tophel, Lavan and Chatzerot, and Dizahav, eleven days' journey from Chorev by way of Mount Seir until Kadesh Barnea. And so it was in the fortieth year, on the first day of the eleventh month, that Moshe spoke to the people of Israel in accordance with all that God commanded him to convey to them. This was after he had struck down Sichon, the king of the Amorites, who dwells at Cheshbon, and Og, the king of the Bashan, who dwells at Ashtarot in Edrei. On the other side of the Arden, in the land of Moab, Moshe began to explicate this Torah by saying, God our Lord spoke to us at Choreb, saying, It is long enough that you have dwelt at this mountain. Turn and travel forward, and come to the mount of the Amorite, and to all of his neighbors, those that dwell in the plain, the hills, the lowlands, the drylands, and the coast of the sea, the land of the Canaanite and the Lebanon, all the way until the great river, the Euphrates. Behold, I have given you the land. Come and possess the land that God pledged to your ancestors, to Abraham, to Yitzchak, and to Yaakov, to give it to them, and to their descendants after them. With these introductory words, the book of Devarim begins, indicating that its contents are Moshe's final addresses to his people. Drawing upon all of his oratory and pedagogic skills, Moshe engages his beloved Israel with a hopeful vision of their future, even as he recalls the ignominious failures of their past, encamped with them on the Yarden's eastern side, but condemned to never cross its rushing waters, Moshe spends his final months reviewing God's teachings with his flock, explicating what had been obscure, introducing the suddenly relevant, inspiring them to be devoted to him, while impressing upon them the grave dangers of idolatry that lurk just beyond the river's rushing waters. 
while the Torah clearly indicates the exact date upon which Moshe begins to address the people, so it was in the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, that Moshe spoke to the people of Israel, we do not know when he concludes. We do, however, know with certainty on which day the people finally crossed the Arden, for the event is meticulously described in the opening chapters of Sefer Yehoshua. There it emerges that the crossing of the river took place during the springtime, the winter snows having began to melt and to make their way down from the towering Hermon range into the basin of the River Jordan, so that the Jordan overflowed its banks during all of the season of the barley harvest. Yehoshua chapter 3, verse 15. In a conscious evocation of the celebration of the Exodus from Egypt, when the people had been commanded to prepare for the event by separating their Passover lambs on the tenth day of this first month, Israel now traversed the Jordan and entered the land on exactly the same day. As the passage from Sefer Yehoshua indicates, the people emerged from the Arden on the tenth day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal, just east of Yericho. Therefore, from Moshe's opening exhortation until the entry into the land, approximately two and a half months elapsed, from the first day of the eleventh month until the tenth day of the first month. But we still do not know the exact duration of Moshe's talks. There are, however, two more chronological markers that can assist us in ascertaining the matter. First of all, we know that after Moshe's demise, recorded at the very end of Sefer Devarim, the people remained encamped at the plains of Moab to mourn for their illustrious leader for a period of 30 days. As recorded in Sefer Devarim chapter 34, verses 5 through 8, Moshe, the servant of God, died there in the land of Moab by God's word. The people of Israel cried over Moshe at the plains of Moab for 30 days until the time for crying over Moshe had been completed. Moshe's words to the people could therefore not have extended for much more than a month. For 30 days out of the 70 days, outlined above, were consumed in mourning for the dead lawgiver. In addition, in addition we also know that the people did not cross the Yardin immediately after the period of mourning was completed, but tarried at the plains of Moab for at least three days. As recorded in Sefer Yehoshua, Yehoshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through in the midst of the camp, and command the people, saying, Prepare provisions for yourselves, because in three days' time you will traverse this Yarden to come and to possess the land that God your Lord gives to you as a possession. If we now assemble the various pieces and work backwards, the traversing of the Yarden on the 10th of Nisan, the first month, the three days of preparations preceding the passage, and the thirty days of mourning over Moshe's death, it emerges that Moshe must have died 
on the seventh day of Adar, known as the twelfth month? If so, then Moshe's final words to the people of Israel would have extended to just about five weeks, from the first day of Shavat, the eleventh month, until the seventh of Adar. That the seventh of Adar is in fact the date of Moshe's death is a well-founded rabbinic tradition mentioned in Talmud Bavli, Kiddushin 38b. The Talmud relates, On the seventh day of Adar, Moshe died, and on the seventh day of Adar, he had been born. From whence is it known that he died on the seventh of Adar? For it states that Moshe, the servant of God, died there. It further states that the people of Israel cried over Moshe at the plains of Moab for thirty days. It further states that it came to pass after the death of Moshe that God said to Yehoshua, Moshe, my servant, has died. Arise and traverse this Yardin. Yehoshua commanded the officer, saying, Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, saying, Prepare provisions for yourselves, because in three days' time you will traverse this Yardin. Finally, it states that the people emerged from the Yardin on the tenth day of the first month. Subtract the 33 days outlined above, and you must conclude, says the Talmud, that Moshe died on the seventh day of Adar. There is, of course, one underlying assumption to this chronological tradition, and that is that all of the events associated with the documented date of the crossing of the Ardennes happened with extreme immediacy. Could we not suppose for a moment that while the people traversed the river on the 10th of Nisan and were told to prepare three days beforehand, perhaps there was a lapse of time between those preparations and the conclusion of the mourning rites over Moshe? In other words, might Moshe not have died during the latter part of the month of Shivat, allowing three or so weeks for him to transmit the book of Devarim, so that the thirty days of mourning ended towards the end of Adar, while Yehoshua's command was not issued until about two weeks later? While this possibility is raised by Rabbi David Kimchi, 13th century Provence, in his commentary to Yehoshua chapter 3 verse 2, he rejects it and instead adopts the rabbinic tradition. For it does not seem reasonable, he says, that the people of Israel would be waiting idly for a number of days after Moshe's death. Rather, Immediately after the morning was concluded, God commanded Yehoshua to traverse the Yarden. And on that very day, Yehoshua told the people to prepare for three days' time. With their chronology, the rabbis not only demonstrated their careful reading of the text, scanning it for any pertinent details that might assist in the construction of a plausible scheme, but also highlighted a critical theme. While it may have been possible to entertain the notion that Israel tarried after the death of Moshe and the conclusion of his mourning rite, and that God granted them that breathing space, the rabbis were determined to connect all of the events with breathless urgency. Moshe's mourning rites had scarcely been concluded when the people were told to prepare for their next trial, as if to say 
that while the great lawgiver's demise was cause for sincere consternation, the land of Canaan still beckoned and had to be possessed. The personal and national necessity of engaging life's pressing challenges may not be derailed, even for a moment, by tragedy, not even by the death of the most illustrious figure in all of biblical history. God wastes no time in commanding Yehoshua to prepare for the passage, even while the final tears shed over his mentor's demise are still hot and wet upon his cheeks, and even while Israel still anxiously reels. Death may destroy and consume our dreams, but we must somehow find the strength to persevere, this being God's firm decree. The essential life-affirming nature of his interaction with the world is thus confirmed. Even while we justifiably mourn and experience intense sadness over loss, it therefore emerges that the rabbi's careful structuring of the mourning rites associated with Tisha B'Av, the feelings of intense loss tempered by optimism for a brighter future, are also paralleled and perhaps even inspired by the dynamics of the chronology of our partial indicating beyond a doubt that our elemental worldview must be expectant, positive, and optimistic. Is it any wonder that we have survived this long, even as the month of Av brings the people of Israel new and difficult challenges? May we speedily merit the complete redemption and the ultimate restoration of the people of Israel upon their land. Thank you again for listening to Nine Days, Nine Podcasts, a production of Produce North America. If you like what you just heard, please give us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thank you for listening.